A portion of the following program has been pre-recorded. You've heard it said, paying rent is throwing your money away. You should buy a house. But is that really true? Hi, I'm Rob West. Well, it may have been true in the past, but not so much these days. In fact, analysts are saying it actually makes financial sense to rent versus buy a house, at least for now. I've got some numbers to show you that may be true. Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. While there's no question that we're still feeling the impact of the COVID pandemic, it caused massive disruptions in supply chains and huge spikes in building costs. Housing inventories fell, demand rose, and home prices have, well, gone through the roof. Now, also during that time, young adults were trying to move out of their parents' homes and set up house for themselves. So rental rates also rose. In the age-old debate, rent versus buy, things have shifted. You see, paying a landlord now seems like a better deal than paying a mortgage company with sky-high interest rates and stubborn inflation. In fact, according to the real estate investment firm CBRE, it's never made less sense for first-time homebuyers to make that leap, and here's why. Uh, CBRE's research shows that average new monthly mortgage payments are now, get this, 52% higher than the average rent for an apartment. That difference, 52%, is the highest in the 27 years CBRE has been doing this research. There's no question that many first-time homebuyers have been priced out of the market. According to the National Association of Realtors in 2022, the last year this statistic is available, only 26% of buyers were first-timers. That's the lowest percentage since they began tracking those numbers. Of course, home values are expected to moderate. At least that's what the experts say. But that probably won't mean they'll actually decline much. It's more likely they'll just stop increasing so dramatically. Some analysts say we've reached peak unaffordability. High mortgage rates are supposed to bring values down, but that hasn't happened because of the continuing low inventory. There just aren't that many houses on the market, and that's keeping prices firm in most places. It's tempting to say that rental rates are a bright spot in this picture, but they really aren't. They're lower now only when compared to average new mortgage payments. Rents also increased a lot in the last few years, just not as dramatically as mortgage payments. For what seemed like decades, Americans heard that buying a home was the smart way to go and that continuing to rent was just a waste of money because paying rent doesn't build equity while making mortgage payments does. That's now been flipped around. The new value option, at least for the time being, is to continue paying rent and sit on the sidelines of the home buying game until interest rates come down and inventory goes up. It's interesting to note that analysts aren't sure at this point where the rent versus buy debate is heading. Will rents rise to meet mortgage payments or will mortgage payments drop to meet rental rates? If you're one of the many wannabe first-time homebuyers and if you're wondering if you'll ever be able to buy a house, you can take some comfort in this. The free market, when left alone, will always correct itself. If there aren't enough homes, builders will build more. If the cost of materials is too high, competition and increased production will bring them down. 
If interest rates are too high, the economy will slow. Interest rates will be adjusted downward. If no one buys houses, lowering demand, eventually prices will come down. Those things will happen. It's just a question of when. In the meantime, you have some work to do. There are three important steps you can take to bring you closer to buying a house while you continue to rent. First, pay off your credit cards and make extra payments on your car loan if you have one. That reduces your debt-to-income ratio. The less debt you have, the more likely you are to get a loan and at a better rate. Second, make every payment on time. Check your credit reports for errors and dispute any you find. Bring your credit score up as much as possible. That will also help you get a lower interest rate, which will make your monthly mortgage payments more affordable when you do buy. Finally, save, save, save. Put as much as you can in the bank and liquid savings for the down payment. We always recommend 20% of the sale price. So basically, follow God's financial principles and see what he will do. Romans 12, 12 reads, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. All right, your calls are next. 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live. We'll be right back. The opinions offered during this program represent the personal or professional opinions of the participants given for informational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to replace advice from a financial, medical, legal, or other professional who understands your specific situation. Thanks for joining us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. All right, it's time to take your calls and questions today. We're ready to hear from you on any financial topic, whatever you're wrestling with in your financial life. Let's tackle it together. We've got some lines open, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Whether it's living, giving, owing, or growing God's money, we can talk about it together. Again, 800-525-7000. Before we head to the phones, in the news today, a report from the New York Federal Reserve says... Total credit card debt grew by $50 billion between October and December of 2023. That's, the, of course, the holiday season. Uh, and it's now at a total of, as of the end of December, $1.13 trillion with a T. That's of the uh, ninth consecutive annual increase. More borrowers are struggling with credit card student and auto loan payments, too. In December, roughly 3% of outstanding debt was in some stage of delinquency, um, and that was up a bit from the previous quarter. Uh, that's lower, though, than the 4.7% rate uh, that we saw before the COVID-19 pandemic began. Uh, the rise in credit card debt is especially interesting because interest rates are such uh, at such incredible highs right now. The average credit card APR hit a new record of 20.72% last week, and that's just the average. The previous record was 19% in July of 91. 
Uh, so we're talking uh, 30 or so years ago uh, before we were at this kind of level. So uh, obviously the average uh, American under uh, quite a bit of pressure right now. And if we uh, do hit a recession and we see unemployment go up, that's only going to get worse. But these high interest rates uh, cause us to really want to double down on debt reduction. Listen, folks, if you have credit card debt, you need to get out from under it. Get a plan. Don't run from it. Run to it. And our friends at ChristianCreditCounselors.org can help. But just some uh, interesting but also uh, tough information coming from the uh, Federal Reserve today on credit card debt. All right, let's take your phone calls today. Perhaps you have something a little more lighthearted to talk about. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Again, that's 800-525-7000. Uh, also, let me mention that um, if you haven't checked out the FaithFi app, this would be a great time to do it. You know, if you're going to get out of debt once and for all, you're never going to be able to do it without a spending plan. And here's why. Your ability to live below your means and create some margin or some cushion in your financial life is critical to accomplishing your goals, whether that goal be giving more, saving more, or perhaps, as we talked about a moment ago, paying off debt. You can't do it without margin. And so the best way to do that is to put that spending plan together uh, so that you have the ability now uh, to make sure you're giving every dollar a job, you know where it's going, and you have that cushion that you can then direct toward principal reduction. So uh, check out the FaithFi app if you haven't already. It's on our website, faithfi.com, faithfi.com. Just click app or you'll find it in your app store. All right. We're ready to go. Let's uh, begin today in Wellington, Ohio. Martha, thank you for calling. Go ahead. Hi. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. I have a question about insurance. I have have insurance on myself, and I had two ride, uh, riders for my children, and I was just informed that when my son turns 25, um, I will no longer have uh, a rider for him. And the reason I had it is for possible funeral expenses because I don't have the money saved. And I was just wondering... I only need funeral expenses, so I was wondering what the best way to go about getting that would be. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, you can get a small burial policy specifically for this purpose, and, you know, I don't think that's a bad idea, especially if you don't have the funds saved. I, I would probably start at Nerd Wallet. It's kind of a silly name, but uh, has become quite a reputable site just for honest reviews of everything from, uh, you know, apps to uh banking institutions to insurance providers. And uh, I'm looking at, um, you know, their latest uh, article on the five best burial insurance companies of February 2024. So they update this literally every month and they rate these companies. And the key is, I think, you know, you need to look at the eligibility in terms of age, and find out which company is going to be the best for you just based on your health status and so forth because one company might be better for one person uh, you know versus another also you'll be able to see you know how they were rated in terms of customer satisfaction number of consumer complaints uh, you know best for instant coverage accessibility I mean all of these different factors that go in 
to ultimately finding the company that's best for you. Now, if you have your insurance with somebody else, your property and casualty, you could look at bundling this and you may be able to save some money just by adding it on uh, to an existing uh, you know, bundle of policies that you already have. But if you're just looking for that straight burial insurance, you know, I would uh, probably start with NerdWallet and, and look at some of their reviews. Oh, thank you so much. And I just, is that word you're saying burial or I wasn't sure what that word is? Burial insurance. Yeah. Is that what you were talking about? Funeral expenses? Yeah. How do you spell that? I'm... B-U-R-I-A-L. Yeah. Burial, uh, as in, you know, being oh, buried after okay. death. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. No, you're fine. No <laughs> okay. problem. Yep. Thank you for calling. If we can help further, Martha, anytime, don't hesitate to reach out. All right. We're going to go to Zeeland, Michigan. Hi, Julie. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. I sure appreciate it. This Happy is something I've been wrestling with for months. <laughs> oh, okay. So well, let's try to solve it. Yeah. Let's try to solve it. So um, we moved into this uh, a condo that we're in right now, um, and we got a very, very good deal on it. It was before everything exploded. Um, but we still have $33,000 yet to pay on it, um, and the interest rate is 3.125. I have 44000 in savings. Um, that's including the emergency fund. This is our only debt. Our cars are paid off. We don't have credit cards, all that. We've done the Dave Ramsey thing for many years. Um, so, our, But our income, because I um, quit my job, I retired, but our income went from 110 k to 80 k this year. Um, we have a pension um, from my husband's first job, and he's also working right now earning about twenty. $400 a month, not including summer. Summer's off because he's a teacher. We want to get a trailer slash camper to start tooling the, the world. <laughs> and yeah. I just, I, I just want to, everyone is saying, no, no, just keep your money in your mortgage. It's very low interest rate. It's cheap money. But inside I'm like, oh, I want to pay it off. But what would be the smart thing? Okay. So let me make sure I understand. So you've got 44000 in savings, including your emergency. You mentioned yeah. that your income dropped, um, but you do have the pension and your husband's income. Uh, what's the balance on the mortgage? 33000 Okay. And then what are you looking to spend on the camper? Probably twenty to twenty-five. Okay, good. So let's do this. Um, we've got to take a quick break, but uh, when we come back, Uh, Let's talk about this and see if we can at least get you pointed in the right direction. Give you maybe some things to think about as you and your husband pray through this. Uh, You stay right there, Julie, and we'll come back to you after the break. Folks, we've got some lines open today. We'll be uh, taking more of your calls uh, just around the corner as well. We'll go to Kendra in Indianapolis, and Walter is in Northport, Florida. Much more to come on Faith and Finance Live. Stay with us. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions. Just before the break, we were talking to Julie in Michigan. Uh, She just retired. Her husband's about a year away from retirement. They have some pension income. Plus, um, he's working, bringing in about $30,000 a year. 
uh, well, not quite that much, maybe um, about a little less than 30000 working as a teacher. And um, they've got 44000 in savings. That includes their emergency savings, about 100000 in investments. And she's wondering, with their mortgage that they have, which is about 33000 um, should they pay that off? And then on top of that, they have a desire to have a camper to do some traveling. And, you know, Julie, as I look at this, I think the, the first question is we need to solve for, okay, let's say your husband does, in fact, retire a year from now. Uh, so at that point, you know, he's, uh, let's call it 61, uh, you're 61, then, you know, you're, you're not eligible for early Social Security, and I'd rather you not take early Social Security anyway because you're going to drop that retirement benefit by maybe 30% or so, 8% a year for every uh, year you take it before full retirement age. And so that's going to permanently lock in that reduction. Um, I, and I guess the question is, you know, if he's uh, getting 2400 or 24000 a year, 2400 a month for 10 months, and we take that off of the 80000 and you guys aren't uh, collecting Social Security, now you're down at 56000 which in a sense cuts in half what you had been living on uh, before you retired. Uh, you know, how do you balance the budget at that point? Yeah, we, the thing is, we are both go-getters. He just finished his master's degree at almost 60 years of age. He is very good at communicating. So we plan on going on the road and doing some consulting. We both consult a little bit here and there, but we plan on doing that after. Yeah. Okay, good. So you're not concerned about your ability to generate income. You guys, you know, have have demonstrated that in the past. So uh, you're going to be resourceful. I guess my only concern is, is the just the limited savings that we have. I mean, I'd love for you guys to build up a bit more cushion, because if we look at right now, you're living on 6,500 a month. And if we were to take that out for six months, which is what I'd love for you to keep in liquid savings, uh, you know, that's 40,000 and and we're right there because you've got 44. So if you deplete, you know, all but 10,000 of this savings, I just don't feel like, especially given all the transition that's coming up, despite your ability to earn income, uh, you know, I just feel like that doesn't need to leave enough liquid uh, just given a lot of the changes that are coming. And I realize that mm. kind of puts you in a quandary because now you got the mortgage payment and potentially you'd have the, you know, a, a loan on top of that for the camper. Uh, so I think if anything, I might, let's put those skills to work and start to generate over the next year or two as much income as you can mm. and try to pay off the mortgage out of current cash flow, preserving as much of that savings as possible um, and then, you know, once you demonstrate that, okay, we've got enough savings, now the mortgage is gone, all right, let's go ahead and buy the camper and, and get out on the road. I just don't want you to shortcut mm-hmm. any of those processes uh, or steps and get too lean on just your, your liquid reserves, if that makes sense. It really does. Wow, that, that helps a lot. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not saying you're in bad shape. I'm just saying, listen, we're not sitting on, a, you know, $500,000 in retirement assets or, you know, we're not sitting at a place where we can, you know, take Social Security and I'd rather push that off as long as we can. So I think anything you all can do to say, hey, we've got big plans for what we want to do in this next season, but the longer we can push that back, continue to work pay off all our debt, build up some more savings, build up some more retirement assets, then we'll be in a stronger position to head out on the road for whatever God has for us next. So anyway, take that, think it, and pray it through and uh, see what God does next. But I appreciate your call today very much. Uh, Let's go to um, uh, Indianapolis. Hi, Kendra. Go ahead. 
Hi there. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I was just calling about an idea. I heard uh, your home and versus rent earlier, yeah. and it made me think of, you know, I'm glad I sold my condo. I have no more condo fee because the condo fee was just going higher and higher. Um, I lost out on a super low interest rate, but um, I'm renting now and looking to potentially buy like a duplex. I thought that would be a great idea if I could rent one side, live in the other, you know, and then eventually, you know, I'm thinking since I have family overseas, maybe even living overseas and I could rent both sides. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I think the only question would just be, you know, in this high interest rate environment, I mean, the 30-year mortgage just ticked back up above 7%. You know, you're just going to have to be careful on buying something in terms of the affordability and your ability to service the debt uh, with that rental uh, or the, the two rentals on the duplex, especially with you being an absentee landlord, I want to make sure you have plenty of reserves to, you know, keep it rented, rented and market, you know, market it sufficiently, keep it, you know, up to date and repaired if there's repairs needed. And obviously just these higher home prices on top of high interest rates just are going to squeeze you a little bit there uh, if you have a big mortgage on it. So just be careful on that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but, uh, you know, just go into that uh, with some caution. And perhaps if you were to wait a year, you know, you may be in a much better position because I think we're going to continue to see housing inventories build. And I think we're probably, at least most economists think, we'll probably be at interest rates in the fives, you know, early next year, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, very good. But I think it's a great plan. And I think uh, I can certainly understand with those rising condo fees, how you could be frustrated and say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going <laughs> to go rent for a while and maybe do something different. So Kendra, thanks for being on the program today. We appreciate uh, you uh, calling in. Uh, Helena, I see your question. Uh, I've got a quick a break coming up here, but let me just say, you know, when your credit score, it sounds like your credit score went down and you said, I'm using the credit card within the limit. And, you know, there's so many factors there when it comes to using credit cards that move our uh, credit score. Uh, credit utilization, which you're referring to, is a big one. So when you use that card and you go above with a balance 30% of the limit, uh, that's going to pull it down quicker than anything else. But there's a whole host of factors. If you paid something off, it changes your credit history. If you get an inquiry, uh, you know, that's going to impact you. So there's a variety of factors. I would encourage you to pull your credit report and see if anything jumps out at you there. Thanks for your call. A quick break and back with more on Faith and Finance Live. Stay with us. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West, your host. This is where we apply the wisdom from the Bible to your financial decisions and choices. We'd love to hear from you today. Let's head right back to the phones to Lake Worth, Florida, WRMB. Hi, Sandra. Go right ahead. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for all the knowledge that you provided. I really appreciate that. And I do apply some of them that I remember. But anyway, let me ask <laughs> okay. my question. Um. I've been selling tax for a while now, but this year I filed my tax, and uh, my tax was rejected. They told me because um, um, it shows that I have insurance with the government through Obamacare, which I never do. 
I never applied for any um, health insurance through the government. Um, I have insurance through my job. I just don't know what to do. I've been calling RRS, but I don't. I can't find nobody to talk with. So I don't know what else to do. I called up the 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 insurance place. It's called Marketplace. They told me that they're gonna put in an, an investigation, but that's all they told me. I haven't heard anything yet. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would definitely get some uh, professional assistance with that. Um, you know, I'm a little confused by that. I mean, it, normally when we hear about this, somebody's surprised by a rejection, a lot of times it's because they're saying they've already received a return. Unfortunately, this is on the rise. That would be where somebody steals your social security number and files a fraudulent return to receive your refund. And then when you try to file e-file, it would be rejected. Um, but you know, if that's not the case and, and there's a, another reason why the uh, the return is being rejected. It's probably because there's a missing form on there. Uh, you know, failure to report health coverage uh, will result in a, a rejected return, and that might be what's going on here. So did you file this yourself, or did you have somebody do that for you? No, I went to professionals. Um, they always file my tax every year. They've been, I've been filing with them for like five years now, Okay, and that's the first time this happened. And okay. she asked me, do I have health insurance with the government? I told her no. Yeah. So that's one of the benefits of, of using somebody to file on your behalf is that uh, you can chase down these problems and let them do the work for you and find out why it was rejected and what the issue is and get this resolved. So uh, I would just wait for her to get the information for you, and she should be able to help you rectify the situation. That's why I call you guys, because she told me she can't. I'm the one that have to do the, the research. So okay. thank you guys answered me. but <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. Unfortunately, me. I'm not a CPA, and I don't wouldn't uh, be able to, to do this digging for you. You really need somebody who can take the rejection information and help you understand exactly why it was rejected. And if there's an, something that's incorrect with regard to why the government is saying they can't, why the IRS is saying they can't accept it, uh, what you need to do to rectify it. And unfortunately, and that's not something we can do over the radio. That really requires a tax professional. So I would kick this back to them and say, listen, this is why I'm paying you. I need you to help me resolve this. Where do I go from here to be able to prove you know, whether or not uh, this rejection is appropriate and, and get this rectified. Uh, if you need a second opinion, you can reach out to a certified kingdom advisor in your area, and you can find one on our website at faithfi.com. I'm sorry, though, Sandra. I know this is frustrating, and uh, hopefully uh, with some help of a competent professional, you can get to the bottom of it. We appreciate your call today. Uh, let's head to Chicago. Hi, Debbie. Go right ahead. Hi. I had a question. Um, If you're going to buy a car, is it better to borrow money out of your, like, 401k or uh, when you can, like, take a loan out, and that way you're paying back interest to yourself? Or is it best to let that money keep working for you towards your retirement and just get a car loan? Yeah. You know, even though rates are up right now on loans, I still like the idea of you borrowing for the car purchase as little as you possibly can, paying it off as quick as you can, but but not taking it from the 401k. I understand why that might sound appealing, because as you said, you're taking your own money out. You can put it back in through paying it back and you're paying interest to yourself. The problem is the whole idea of putting it in there is so that it can be growing for the future. So you're 
missing out on that compounded growth while the money's out. Not only that, but right now you're pulling it out during a time when the market's down, and we don't know when it's going to recover, but you want that money in there so that it can recover when the market does, even though it will likely go down more before it goes up. And then thirdly, if for some reason, for any reason, you separated from the company, now all of a sudden that's all taxable to you, plus a penalty if you're less than 59 and a half. So I think for those reasons, as much as I don't like to pay any interest, uh, you know, I would borrow the money uh, collateralized by the car itself and then just try to pay it back as quick as you can. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Very good. We appreciate your call to Zephyr Hills, Florida. Hi, Nancy. Go right ahead. Hi, Rob. I'm calling because I have a question regarding retirement and uh, Social Security. I work for the federal government, and because of the windfall tax profit, they take my Social Security at a rate of, I think, two-thirds. Yeah. And um, I've, I've talked to people, and they get like $1,200 a month. Social Security, and I was getting $2 a month. So I'm like, something's not right here. And I went to the Social Security office. They reviewed my case. They said, oh, well, you can't have two pensions from the government. And because I'm getting a retirement pension, they say I can't pursue the Social Security uh, allotment. Yeah. yeah. So and unfortunately, you could shine some. Well, no, the the only way that you could uh, have this reversed is if you are un, you are not eligible for another pension. Um, but if you are eligible for another pension, then unfortunately that windfall elimination provision is going to apply, usually cutting the benefits in half or perhaps even more. And it comes from working for the federal government or another state or local government where you are eligible for another pension and they then limit your ability to earn Social Security because of that. Uh, so if, in fact, you do have that other pension, then there's not going to be another way around this, unfortunately. Even though I paid into the system 40 quarters working outside of the government as well. Yeah. I don't uh, understand, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's like it, for Somebody who didn't work with the federal government, they're getting their full Social Security amount, and they have their 40 quarters in. But because I worked for the federal government, they take it. They take two-thirds of my uh, Social Security. Right, right. And it's because, yeah, this other pension that's available through the work that you did, and I understand the frustration there, but they're only going to give you one or the other, unfortunately. So um, I I think, you know, if you feel like, you know, something's not right, you could obviously go in and see if you could get somebody face-to-face and try to understand a bit more. But unfortunately, if that other pension is available, uh, they're not going to give you both as much as I wish I had better information for you. I'm so sorry to hear your situation, Nancy. We do appreciate you being on the program today, and uh, may God bless you in the days ahead. Yeah, before we head to our break, you know, as I read Scripture, I see this big idea jumping off the page around contentment. You know, I think as we consider our role as stewards of God's money, we need to foster this attitude that the Apostle Paul talked about, and that is contentment. Remember, he said that it's learned. I've learned to be content. He was in a time of plenty and in a time of need, and he learned to be content in either of those. Contentment's a choice, and when we increase our 
our contentment? Well, then we can focus on what God has given us and not on what he's given others. I hope that's an encouragement to you today. Just around the corner, we have some more questions to tackle. I know you're going to enjoy the calls we have coming up. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. All right, let's head right back to the phones. We'll get to as many questions as we can here in this final segment. To New York we go. Hi, Judy. Go right ahead. Yes. Hi, Rob. I listen to your program every day. Please continue the good work that God has called you to. Yes. I would like to um, for you to guide me. I have one daughter, and I figure I'll make it simple for her. So I did a quick deed claim and put her name on the deed. And I put her the beneficiary for all my bank accounts and my life insurances, just to make it simple for her. Um, then I, by listening to you, I heard I should have done a trust fund for her so that she didn't have to pay taxes on the condo. Am I right? Yeah. And so you've already done the quick claim deed. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The challenge with that is then she is going to inherit your cost basis, uh, which basically just means once she goes to sell the property, either after your life or you all decide to sell it together. But let's say she holds on to it and somewhere down the road after you've gone home to be with the Lord, she sells it. uh, The the capital gains is going to be determined based on your original purchase price. Um, If you would have passed it to her as a through an inheritance, whether that's through a trust or just a basic will or a transfer on death deed, then she gets the stepped up basis. So the cost basis for determining capital gains would be stepped up to the market value as of the date of your death. So unfortunately, when you when you do that quick claim deed, that's going to mean that she inherits your cost basis. So she'll just have some additional taxes to pay um, when she sells it. That's the reason why we typically don't want to do that. Um, but if, if that's already done, then that's kind of behind us. And I think from this point forward, you just, as you've been doing, just make sure all your, your will is current, your beneficiaries are current, and then, you know, you're ready. Whenever the Lord takes you home, uh, you know, you'll efficiently pass the rest of your assets to her. Great. I was avoiding the will, but from talking to you, I, I'm going to do a will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not sure you could talk to a real estate attorney and see if there's any way to unwind that, but I'm I'm afraid that you've since you've already quit claim deeded this property over to her, she's now a 50% owner or whatever percent you gave her. And again, that inherits your original cost basis. But for any of these types of issues, as you make your wealth transfer plans, always good to get the counsel of an attorney. So hopefully that helps you. We appreciate your call, Judy. Thanks for your kind remarks and for listening to the program every day. We appreciate it. Uh, to Ohio, uh, Marianne, go right ahead. Hi, I have an income tax coming to me about $15,000. And I wanted to know what would be the best way to... Um, make more money off of it. I don't know about CDs or mutual funds or stocks or bonds or anything like that. Sure. So uh, do you already have, Marianne, what I call an emergency fund, a liquid savings account of three to six months expenses? No, sir, but I've heard you talk about it. 
Okay. I think that's probably the place to start, which means I wouldn't invest this money, meaning I wouldn't put it in stocks and bonds and try to grow it. Because with that, you've got to, you really only want to do that if you have a long time horizon. And, uh, you know, if we don't have an emergency fund, that's the place to begin. Now, this is good news that you've got this money coming to you. uh, And it'd be a great way to get that emergency fund started. So what I would do is when it comes in, I'd go ahead and open a high-yield savings account, probably with an online bank. You could use Marcus or Capital One 360, or if you wanted a bank that aligned with your Christian values, you could use the Christian Community Credit Union at joinchristiancommunity.com. But you would link that to your checking account and then go ahead and move this over. Let's call this your the beginning of your emergency fund with a goal of getting this to three to six months expenses. And then when the unexpected comes, this is what you use you know, to fall back on so you don't have to borrow anything. And if this isn't equal to three to six months expenses, you could keep you know, building this up. With additional funds, that's where you'd want to invest, where you've got truly a minimum of a 10-year time horizon. I'd probably start with a company-sponsored retirement plan. Um, if you don't have one, you could use a Roth IRA. But uh, that's, that's how I would, would approach this 15000 Does that make sense? Yes, um, with the with the Roth IRA, what do they usually yield? They they don't yield anything. So the Roth IRA is just simply the type of account. So you have a joint oh. account with you and a spouse. Uh, you'd have an individual account, and then a Roth IRA is an account category that's a retirement account. And it basically allows for you to put in after-tax dollars up to $6,500 a year under age, six, under age 50 and then invest that inside the Roth. So you put in cash, and then once it's in there, you can choose whatever investments you want, CDs, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds. And as those investments grow inside the Roth IRA, uh, then they're not affected by the taxes. And then when you pull the money out, including all the gains, uh, it's tax-free, as long as you do it after age 59 and a half and as long as the account's been open for at least five years. So the Roth doesn't have a yield. Again, that's just the account type. It really has to do oh. with what investments you put inside of it. All right. Okay. Um, are there any certified kingdom advisors in this area? There probably are. I would say, though, if you're just getting started, you're probably not going to be able to work with a certified kingdom advisor just because their typical minimums are a little uh, higher than for someone who's just getting started. Uh, So what I would probably do is check with our friends at soundmindinvesting.org. Uh, they could help you with some investment uh, strategies, make some mutual fund selections that would be helpful to you. Again, soundmindinvesting.org. The other thing I would mention to you, Marianne, is if if all of this money is coming as a tax refund and you're getting $15,000 back, uh, that's an interest-free loan that you made to the government for a year with a lot of money. And I'd much prefer to see you get that into your monthly paycheck and get that refund down as close to zero as possible. And that means you need to update your W-4 form. Uh, And there's a formula on the form that'll tell you how to fill it out. But there's no sense in letting the government hold hold on to that money to you. I'd rather that be in your check every month so you can use it to fund your long-term investments or your savings, things like that. Hopefully that helps you. We appreciate your call today. Uh, let's head to Laney in Chicago. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, I have a question. I live on the north side. I'm 65. 
And I paid into an insurance, life insurance, first was term and then went to uh, whole. And that uh, insurance company went out of business without letting me know. I never got any policy or my book back or payment. I was just switched back and forth. And I had that ever since I was 14, now I'm 65, but no way to be buried. Hmm. Yeah, and so the, you're wondering what to do about the policy, is that right? Um, I don't have any, any um, the person took everything, the policy, the books, um, and they just went out of business. I contacted the attorney general's office. They said that they don't deal with individual uh, cases is normally businesses. They recommend that I get a private attorney, which I'm on a fixed income and I have no other income. Okay. So uh, again, I'm I'm a little confused as to what's what's happened here. So was this a whole life policy uh, that had some cash value that built up in it? It was a term life when I was 14. I paid up till I was 26, and then it went whole life. And now I'm 65. They took my money all the way up to, I would say, now. And now they went out of business. And I was told they went out in 2016 just finding this out. And I have no no way of contacting anyone. They went into another, under another name. Uh, The agent told me that there was nothing I could do. It was like bragging. You okay. know that. Did you talk? So policies are insured by the state guarantee association fund in the state of Illinois. That's going to be the IHIGA. It's the Illinois Life and Health Insurance Guarantee Association. Is that who you contacted? Hello. Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me? Um, yeah, I didn't get the other part. Okay. Life and guarantee. Yeah, so uh, visit this website to learn more, and perhaps this could give you some next steps. It's IHIGA.org. That's IHIGA.org. That's the guarantee association there in the state of Illinois that guarantees these policies, and it should be insured up to 300000 in death benefits, although... That's not an issue here, but also up to $100,000 in cash surrender or withdrawal values. So, again, that's IHIGA.org. Laney, I know this is frustrating. I hope that can help you get some answers. We appreciate your call today. Uh, Let's see, to Jupiter, Florida. Hi, Diane. Go ahead. Hi. I've been researching possible life insurance policies to pay off my mortgage uh, for my children at the time of my death. I refinanced it a couple years ago. I have 153000 on it, but I just turned 74 a couple weeks ago. So everyone that's been quoting me prices for a 10-year, it, of course, is going to be pricey because I'm older. So 240 sure. to 300 a month. Would it be wiser for me to take that money? Because in a couple of months, I'm getting a small inheritance, which I'm going to wipe out all my credit cards. Would it be better to use that money instead of using for insurance company, use it and put it down on the principal on the house? 
Absolutely. Yes. Uh, There's not a reason for insurance here. Uh, The reason we have life insurance is to offset a risk, a loss of income or a hardship that would be placed on our loved ones at our death. That's not going to be the case here. Um, You know, if your kids inherit the house and there's still a mortgage on it, they'll sell the house and use the proceeds to pay off the mortgage and then they can split the rest. So you paying an exorbitant amount for life insurance at your age for a death benefit to cover a mortgage that already has some equity in it, there's really not a benefit to do that. I think you take this money and put it towards shoring up your own financial foundation. I completely agree, Diane. Thanks for your call today. God bless you. That's going to do it for us. We're so thankful you were with us today. Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and Faith by. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.